Now turn with me, please, to Luke's Gospel and chapter 22. Luke's Gospel and chapter 22. This is still another lesson which we can learn in the upper room. And then from here we will leave the upper room, although I must admit we could stay in it for many, many, many more weeks and learn tremendous truths from the lips of the Lord Jesus. But I was going to move on today, but I was arrested by Luke 22, verses 24 to 30. It's an incident that happened in the upper room which only Luke himself actually records. He is the only one that tells us about it. And I just read it casually, but it, uh, it really struck me, the message, the lesson that was in it. And the lesson that is in it is a lesson concerning humility and service. All right? Humility and service. You could say humility in service, but I'm going to say humility and service. Now, let me read it to you firstly, just the section. Because then I want you to listen closely to every word because every word is full of meaning. And then we'll see the setting of it because it gives us significance to the lesson that comes out of it. The lesson of humility and service. Verse 24. There was also a strife, a strife among them, a rivalry. Which of them should be accounted or considered the greatest? He said unto them, the Lord Jesus said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles, now follow closely the readings of the words stay in your mind. I'll come back and expand them later. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. They that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you, not so. That's the literal reading but ye shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He that is chief, as he that serves. For where there is greater, he that sits at meat, or he that serves. Is it not he that sits at meat, or he sits at the table, and is getting waited on? But, this is incredible what the Lord says here, I am among you as he that serves. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations or in my trials, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And may the Lord bless this reading to us and open our understanding to understand the scriptures. And before we move into the section, you'll get the best picture if you can understand it in its setting, you see. Because... What's happened here is the the Lord has instituted the Lord's Supper, his supper, his time of remembrance. I mean, he's given them the symbol of his ultimate humiliation. The ultimate and finality of his service here on earth. Because as he takes the emblems and explains to them what they mean, he shows to them that this is his final act of service for God and service for them. That's remarkable. He says, look, this cup is the blood of the covenant. Nick mentioned it very clearly today in the relation to the remembrance of the Lord. His service for God was to seal the eternal covenant with his blood. And then he says, but it's shed for you. It's one thing that he would serve God, but the fact is he served us, poor sinners that we are. And that should make us very, very grateful. Now, this is the setting, you see. Luke actually puts things together which are not necessarily happening at the same time. 
That's one way in which he writes. He doesn't write chronologically, event following event in a time fashion. Mark does that. Sometimes he takes events and he puts them together because there's a particular emphasis or a contrast or a lesson he wants to bring out of the situation. We often say Luke writes in a moral order rather than a chronological or time order. Now that's exactly what he does here. Back in the, earlier in the chapter, he does the institution of the supper. Then in verse 21, he tells about the situation where the Lord actually exposes the betrayer. And then he says, at the same time, they're beginning to inquire among themselves, who should do this thing? They're also having a dispute, who is going to be the greatest? Well, we know chronologically that the betrayer was revealed before the Lord's Supper was actually instituted, before he actually did that. But, um, <clears throat> and it would seem that this dispute and the mention of the reply of the Lord Jesus to settle the dispute actually would have occurred probably before the Lord's Supper, at the same time as the betrayer was being revealed, and probably all associated with the time when he stooped down and he washed their feet and he became their servant at that time. But see, Luke says, no, no, I want to put it here in contrast. I want you to see what was going on there. You see, he says the Lord Jesus was actually talking about himself and he was talking about his humiliation and his service. And he said, here were the disciples and they were talking about exaltation and their greatness. And you see, they're talking about themselves. And you see that he, the Lord Jesus, is concerned about others. He's concerned about his service to God and he's concerned about his, sin, his service for the sinner. He there in his humility, self-emptying. They there in their pride and desire for self-fulfillment. And Luke says, I'll put the two together just to bring home the seriousness of the sin of pride and self-exhortation. This, he said, this section of the scripture is a most powerful lesson, a most powerful lesson on humility and service. Whatever we do in the service of the Lord, whatever you and I do in the service in the church for the people of God, whatever you may do in service for others elsewhere, if it is not done in humility, it is of questionable value in the day to come, the day of review. Because very often when we think we've done something for the Lord, something may be for the benefit of some other person or believer, we think we've done such a wonderful job, but we got such a satisfaction out of it, and we went so far out of our way to make sure everybody knew about it, that the Lord says, well, you just did it to be seen of men, and you've already had your reward. Let me say that again. When we do something that is mainly that is not done in humility, it's of questionable value in the coming day of review. And this, this lesson has to be heeded by every single one of us. I don't care how old you are, or how young you are, or how much you know, or how much you don't know. Because pride and self lies rooted in the sinful nature of us all. It does. It's sitting there. It's never too far below the surface. Now it says here that there was strife among them. And the idea is that there was a dispute. They were actually, <laughs> they were actually disputing and arguing which one of them was really the greatest over the, all the rest of them. I mean, six months previously, they'd been doing it anyway. In Matthew 18, when the Lord Jesus called the little child, it says there was a contention amongst them. Now, in the original Greek, the idea of a contender is someone who is a lover of quarrels. So you see, this is... Engaging in activity which is engaged in by those who are a lover of quarrels. And I tell you, it's true. In our society, and sadly in our churches, the same quarrel has gone on. Here it had gone on for at least six months. Now you wonder if it's ever going to stop. The desire for place. The desire to be recognized for who I am and what I do. The desire for control, for rule, for greatness, the me, the self. Don't you find it's ever intruding in your service for the Lord? Do you ever fall into that trap of maybe doing something for somebody and getting a warm, fuzzy feeling inside? I don't mean that there's not joy in service. There is. But don't you sort of... Do you find it sort of inflates your ego? But you see, you're starting to spoil the whole process of service and you're departing from the pattern 
of the master. You see, what the Lord teaches here is that true greatness, the pathway to true greatness, lies in that humility and self-abasement. Because that's exactly the path and the life that the Lord Jesus lived himself. That's the life. It's the way of the master. And he teaches them greatness and rule, this is in this section, is not for the here and now. That lies up ahead. It lies in the future. He teaches them that now is the time of serving. It's the time of enduring with him through the trials. It's the time of the fellowship of his sufferings. It's the time for that humility of spirit where you're aware of your own inabilities and of your dependencies and of your needs and how you need to lean on him and move forward in faith and trust. Later on, they'll be feasting at his table and they'll be sharing in his kingdom. That's the future, you see. It's not the time now. This is what greatness finally is. It's sitting at the table of the king and sharing in his reign. What does the apostle say in Timothy? If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Now, with that in mind, the background, the stark contrast between the Lord and what, the figure of what he portrayed before them and the conversation that they were having, and with a lesson, a broad view of the lesson that he's going to teach us, let's just go verse by verse. We'll go at verse 25. And notice how it reads. He said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles, now that straight away is significant. What do they do? They exercise lordship. What else do they do? They exercise authority. What else do they do? They want to be recognized and called benefactors. I mean, that's all a bit of a joke, really, but we'll come to that in a minute. Right. The kings of the Gentiles, you see. You're dealing with a society where there is no recognition of God. He's not talking about the people of God exactly here, but he's an example. He's saying, now, out there where there is no recognition of the God of Israel, where there is no recognition of the one true and the living God, he said. Out there, the kings of the Gentiles, these people that take official places with an official title, and they exercise what? Authority. Not serving, not service. They're there, the kings of the Gentiles exercise authority over them. And they rule, and then they say, look, here we are, doing what we're doing, and actually what we're doing is for your benefit. You see, a benefactor is a worker for the good of others. Now, that's a sort of fancy tale, isn't it, that the people in authority in our world would have us believe. They're there just there for our good, you know, serving the people in such a sacrificial way. But the kings of the Gentiles are interested in what? Power. Authority. Recognition. And they care not for the people. It's so true, you know. It's so true. That is our world. We are now ruled, and I don't just mean in our nation, and I'm not wishing to speak ill of authorities, but the kind of people that have seized and co- the control and the power are those who care for themselves only and not for anybody else. Advance the agenda. Advance the ideology. Doesn't matter who it hurts. Their voice, their word, their way or the highway. That's the attitude. They don't care when people are hurt. Now the Lord says that is what it's like in a society, a godless society. He said, but with you, he said, oh no. No, no, he said, it's no such thing amongst you. He that is greatest among you, he said. Let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that serves. And the whole idea there is that greatness in God's eyes is measured in self-abasement and in service for others. The extent to which you empty yourself of yourself, the extent to which you expend yourself for the blessing and benefit of others at cost to yourself, that is the measure of greatness of service in the kingdom of God. He says, first of all, let them be as the younger, And that's an incredible picture, it would have been an incredible picture to them, of self-abasement and of putting yourself down. Because you see, in the society of that day, as still is in in much parts of the East, if you are one of the older people, well, that's it. You know, you've got total respect, you are listened to, you are recognised. Actually, that generation rules with an iron fist. The younger, that was a different story, 
They had no rights, they had no recognition, they had no respect, they had no authority, and they had no rule. And if you were to go to an older man in the family and say, excuse me, see the five-year-old down there, change places with him, and then be what he is, he would have been, I'll use the word, black-affronted. He'd have been absolutely amazed and angry at such a thing. He would never think of doing it. Stepping down, stepping back, lowering himself, self-abasement. Right. Then he says, take the picture of what it is to sit at a table. You know, you're going to the restaurant, to some very nice restaurant where they wait on you really well. Now, when you are at that table, you are the centre of attention. You see that? You are the one that's being fed. You are the one that's being served. But when you are serving, what are you doing? You're bringing blessing to others. You're focusing on others. You're meeting the needs of others. You're putting the comfort of others before the comforts of your own, the comfort of yourself. Actually, when you're serving there at the table, your whole attention is focused there. You're not even thinking about yourself. Now, that's the key to service. You know, humility in service, we say, well, to be humble, we must have lots of really sort of poor thoughts about ourselves and tell ourselves about what we're not and keep ourselves humble. And this, when a person is really humble, they're not thinking about themselves at all. When you and I are serving as a true servant of the Lord and really doing the Lord's work in his way, It doesn't enter our minds about ourselves, about our comforts, about whether we spend or whether we're utterly spent. All we're thinking about is serving him, number one, yes, and all we're thinking about is the blessing of the other person at expenditure to ourselves. You see, at any stage where you're putting yourself first or allowing yourself to have precedence in the service that you're putting forward, or you're looking for recognition, or you're wanting praise, or you want a reward, or you know, you just want somebody to recognize you, or somebody to think about how you feel about the situation and what it means to you for what you're doing. You know? You know the sort of stuff we hear today? I tell you what, you're just like a Gentile king. That's what he's saying here. That's what you're like, a Gentile king, and you're not like the master. You know what the Lord says here? But I am among you as he that serves. And I think that those are astounding words, actually. There's astounding humility lying behind those beautiful words, I am among you, as he that serves. That was his life. That was his entire life. It was summed up in those emblems, as he says at the end of them, it is for you. You see, this this is the Christ This is the son of the living God. This is actually the true king, you know. This is great David's greater son. I mean, it goes even further. It's what we're looking at here is God's perfect servant. That's what we're looking at. Behold my servant, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. And the prophet says about his perfect servant in Isaiah, he shall not cry out, nor shall he cause his voice to be heard in the streets. And you say, well, what does that mean? What it means is he won't be drawing attention to himself. That's the idea there. He serves. This is true greatness, to work unseen and to serve unnoticed. And not only that, it says, the bruised reed will he not break and the smoking flax will he not quench. Now, in other words, he will always be considering the other and their need and their weakness, the bruised reed. You know, you hold it up and it just flops. You know, this is good for nothing. Just throw it away. No, he won't break it up and throw it away. The smoking flax, well, get on and burn with you. That's what you're for. No, 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 he'll fan it gently into a flame. Because, you see, his whole attitude is centered, not on self, to cry out and proclaim himself in the streets, but on the blessing that can be brought to others. You know, this is the Lord Jesus that's talking here. I am among you as he that serves. This is, this is the, in essence, the whole of Philippians 2, where Paul writes verse after verse about the down stooping of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the Lord says, here I am. He says, the very embodiment of what the great apostle is going to write about in chapter 2 of his Philippian epistle. He says, I am amongst you as one that serves. And Paul the apostle says very clearly there that he was in the form of God. And then when he finishes the down, 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 he says, and there he finally is in the form of a servant. In other words, he comes from the highest form of existence. You get that? The form of God. And he takes the lowest place in humanity. You see, it says he was in the form of God and he was found in fashion as a man. Now that humility and humiliation and that self-emptying and that down-stooping, that just that one step is beyond our comprehension from the deity, humanity, creator, place of a creature, heaven in all its splendor, earth and all its sin, angels and all their glory, the presence of the Father and all its love and beauty, to be among sinful men, despised, rejected, men of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Do you see this? Can you see the humility that he would choose to take that pathway? And if you can't understand, and I can't, and if I can't express properly, and I can't, the enormity of that downstep from the form of God to fashion as a man, in the place coming into the world as a man, he came not in the upper echelons of society, which he could have, and he should have, you might say, from our point of view, but he could have done it. Instead of that, he takes the lowest place in the social scale in the form of a servant. A servant. I mean, when he came, he, he didn't come to the palace, you see. The kings of the Gentiles had the palace. Old Herod had that. He didn't come to the palace, did he? He could have. He was a king. He could have. He didn't come into the temple. Oh, no, the, uh, the old Pharisees had hold of that one. He could have come to the temple. He was the priest, after all. Oh, the ultimate priest. He was the king priest. And he didn't even come into a home that had just wealth and social standing. He was just a carpenter. He was among the peasants, as it were. And as you move through this life of ministry, you see that, the, the poverty of the Lord Jesus. He who was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. And of course you know the line, don't you? He did, what did he do? He borrowed a boat, didn't he? Lived on borrowing things. He wanted a minister on the Lake of Galilee to the crowds and the multitude. He borrowed somebody's boat. Remember that? He wanted to give a lesson, didn't he, about paying to Caesar what was Caesar's, and he, he borrows a coin. It says, whose superscription is on it? When he rides into Jerusalem, he borrowed the donkey, didn't he? And just days from here, what will he be doing? He'll be borrowing a tomb. Actually, I like it, borrowing a tomb, because when you borrow something, you give it back. <laughs> he never took the ownership of that tomb, because he just wanted to use it for a wee while. Now, that's the road that the master took, and he says, the Son of Man has got nowhere to lay his head. And what we're dealing with here is God's perfect servant. And the setting that Luke has given it is stupendous in its contrast because the Lord Jesus is right here just hours away from his greatest act of service. For in his death he would serve God by making atonement for sin with the blood of the covenant. And in his death he would serve me. Now that's humility. That's humiliation. One thing to serve God, and that in itself is, humili is humiliation in that sense of taking a place of not equal with, but looking up to and serving and obeying in obedience, but that he would actually serve you and me is again beyond our comprehension. But he says, this is the example. I am amongst you as he that serves. In other words, that is what service is. It's like when he washes their feet. He says, what I have done is the very thing that you should be doing to one another. You see, service is lowliness. Service is humility. Service is never about me being the greatest. And fellow Christian this morning, could you suffer the word of exhortation 
Let us, let us learn to serve. Seek desperately to get rid of all those notions of greatness that the world are banging into your head. Do you hear that, young people? You're not half as great as they tell you you are. Neither are you half as great as you think you are. Because when you start thinking like that, you've forgotten your sinful nature and how bad it is. You've got the whole thing tail about. The whole thing. Let us rid ourselves of all notions of self-importance, the desire to rule, the need to be recognised. If we could but stand for a moment in this very room, within the shadows of the cross, and hear the Master say, but I'm amongst you as he that serves. I was thinking of this last night and that lovely hymn came to me beneath the cross of Jesus. It's a place to stand, you know. Upon the cross of Jesus, mine eyes at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. Now, if you're going to stand there, if you could stand there, and if that doesn't make you empty yourself of yourself, I can only say, I don't know what ever will. I, I wonder if you've ever got a vision of the cross. I wonder if you've ever got a vision of your own sinfulness. You see, we don't talk like this today. We tell our children how great they are. We don't tell them they were sinners, born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We don't do that anymore because we might injure their personalities. Good thing if we do. Great thing if we do. But you see, we've got a very low view of sin today. We've got a very low view of God. So we've got a high view, therefore, of ourselves because we don't have an understanding of what we are by nature. We really, really don't. You know, you get saved today by deciding to become a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the dominant theme, that I'm going to now be a follower. You know, it's almost as though you're bestowing some sort of favour on him and in deciding to be one of his group. It's all back to front. You know why you become a, saved, a Christian? Because you're a sinner and you need to be saved. You know why you follow him? Because you love him, because he died for you. Do you know what you talk about and who you sing about? You sing about him. You don't sing about yourself. My unworthiness. Suffer the word this morning. Get yourself off the screen. and Focus your eye upon him who said, I am among you as he that serves. Then turn and look at others and see their needs. And put yourself out of sight and expend yourself totally to see that others are blessed with the blessings of God. Others, Lord. Yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I might live like thee. Let us challenge, take to heart and challenge the spirit of the age in which we're being brought up, in which, by which we are being so strongly influenced. Everybody wants to be somebody. And it gets into the church and it ruins the spirit of the fellowship and it renders service very futile. I mean, there's some biblical examples, and I'll take you through them. For instance, you think of Paul when he goes into the church at Ephesus in Acts 20. He says to them, to the elders as he's leaving them, he says, you know what manner of entering in I had unto you. In other words, you know how I came to you. He said, from the very first day, you've known that, I was serving the Lord in all lowliness of mind. You get that? Lowliness of mind. He wasn't pretending and sort of just doing certain actions to, to let them, like Uriah Heap, to show how you know, terrible humble I am. No, 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 no. His whole mindset was a sense of humility because Paul was the man who said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. He never took a thing to himself. Everything that he could have taken to himself from his birth, his citizenship, right, his place in Israel, his intellect and his upbringing, he suffered the loss of it all. Threw it away. It says he counted it but dung that I might win Christ. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and he says there he's willing to spend and be utterly spent for the sake of the gospel. Spend and be utterly spent. Oh, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that, brother. You know, you must have some self-care, mustn't you, today? You must do that. You must think, you must look after yourself because you might even get a bit of burnout. That'll be fine. It'll cast you on the Lord. I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> All right? No, Paul says, I'll spend and I'll be utterly spent till I've got nothing left. I don't just mean financially. 
I mean, mentally, physically, emotionally, nothing left to give. That's what he said. That's the kind of man he was. Now, that's humility and that's true service. And in 1 Peter 5, he says, all of you be subject one to another. Now, when you the attitude is don't start taking authority over the other, all right? Not the desire to rule, but to submit, right? But he says, be clothed with humility. Now, that word clothed is, is really good. Be clothed with humility. The idea of a garment that's girt about you tightly. One translation says, to bind on humility. Darby's translation says that, and it's a very, very good way of expressing it. To bind it on, you see? You say, well, I remember listening to one old preacher, and he leant over the platform, he says, why do you think he said to bind it on? He said, I'll tell you, because you'll find it'll soon fall off. You see? So you've got to strap it to yourself, because it's not natural to us. Our natural, naturally, we would rise up to be and not stoop down to serve. You see, it's not natural to you. Everything inside of you, of your own sinful nature, will want to push that off. It'll be crying out for recognition. And everyone around you in the world today, they'll tell you to take it off, you see. So the apostle says in First Peter, he says, you bind on humility. Paul writes to Galatians, in love serve one another. You get that? You're not at the table, you're doing the service. In love. Do you know what love does? Love always focuses on the blessing of the other person. Do you know why marriages fail at a tremendous rate today? Two people get together and they think, what's in it for me? I mean, that's not the biblical thing. The biblical thing is you get together in love and you serve that other person. And you find that other person is serving you. And marriages don't go on the rocks. Big difference. Big difference. So he says, in love you you serve one another. Then he says um, in Romans, in honour, in honour, preferring the other. Preferring. It's like, you know, you're standing there giving something's behind you and you say... Oh, oh, excuse me, now you go first. You go first. You, go, you take your turn before me in honour, preferring one another. Peter further goes on and he says, he resists the proud. You know, when you move in self-assertion, you want the limelight, all right? Whatever it is, God actually sets himself against you at that point. And it says there that he gives grace to the humble. In other words, and this is true, the more you and I understand and practice humility and become humble-minded people, the more you will prove the outpourings of the goodness of God, because that's what grace is. To the humble, he gives more grace. And the more you have this mindset of, about self, the mindset toward God in gratitude, and the mindset towards his people that you're going to serve them, you know, like you'll wash their feet even when their socks smell. Huh? You'll wash their feet even when they kick you for one and the six. Huh? And they get you too. And you'll wash them even when you get to a Judas. Imagine that. You wash the feet still. When you've got that mindset, what a difference, you see. What a difference. What a difference. This is true service. And then you prove more and more of the goodness of God. You find you'll read the scriptures and they'll come alive. You find you'll read the life of the Lord Jesus and you'll see beauty in every action that he takes. You'll see him touch a leper. Touch a leper. You'll see him speaking to a woman of the city. She was an outcast. You'll suddenly realize that the tax gatherers and the sinners, they're drawing near to him. And you'll hear how he admires a man that goes up into the temple and says... God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And how he despises a man who says, I thank thee, God, I am not as other men. I fast. I give tithes. I, 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 you see. And you read the Gospels and there's a new beauty in them and the light comes from them. As you're starting to understand the Master and what he says, I am among you as he that serves. So again, can I say this? Suffer a word of exhortation with you this morning. It's been that to me. Stop looking at yourself. Start looking at him. And your view of yourself will change completely. Stop thinking about yourself. And start thinking about others. We live in a society that is saturated with the self. Absolutely saturated. This is the, we're living in a world that is ruled by the spirit of Babylon. That's what it is. 
Remember what he said, the king Nebuchadnezzar? Is this not great Babylon, which I have built? By the might of my power, by the honour of my majesty. This is a society that's all about our achievements, our grandeur, our recognition, our authority, our place, who I am. And everybody's getting told this. And our children are getting told it the day they hit school and before that. Because the last thing the devil wants you to know is that you're a sinner and you need to be saved by the grace of God and you deserve eternal punishment and there's not one good thing in you. No, not one. We're altogether unrighteous for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We're in this anti-Christian, anti-God society of self-importance, self-love, self-praise, self-worth. Me, my feelings, my gain, what is in it for me? Or you want to make a decision. Well, come on, think clearly now. What's in it for you? Point number one. And so it goes on. And being the whole mentality is instilled into our thinking to such an extent because the society which we live in is, is actually anti-God. It's actually anti-Christ. Can you see that? What did the Lord say? I'm amongst you as he that serves. Anti that whole mentality. And totally contrary. It's anti-God. It's contrary to the very nature of God himself. It's just bound up in everything we think about. The whole notion of safety that's come in, you know? Of course we should be safe. Of course. But the bottom line is what they say to you is you consider yourself first. And when you go to work, think about your own safety. Don't think about doing the job properly. Oh, no, 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 that you deserve, you deserve to get paid because you actually go. But you think about yourself when you were there, you see. It's very important. I'm not being stupid. I'm not saying we shouldn't practice safety. But you see the emphasis. It's all about me. Just recently I went and had to do a refresher course on uh, CPR, you know, the um, <coughs> resuscitation when people have a heart attack or whatever. And it used to be ABC. That's how I always remember. ABC. Airway, breathing, circulation. Dead easy, I thought. Airway. Is it, you know, is it blocked? Clear the airway. Is the person breathing? Right. And you've got a pulse. Has he got circulation? What am I doing? I'm concentrating on that person in need. Right? That's what you're doing. Sure. No, no, no. It's not ABC anymore. It starts with D. It starts with D. It's all about danger. First look around. Meanwhile, they're cheerfully having a heart attack or choking on their favourite peanut, you know. But that's not, that's not the point. You look around. You get the idea? And you say, is there any danger for me here? Or maybe, if you're thoughtful, you think, is there any danger for anybody else? <coughs> Very well. No, I'm all right, so I'll look at this fellow here. I mean, I don't, mind, I don't know what's going to happen if we ever go to war again. Nobody get any medals, will they? You get medals for bravery, under fire, risking yourself for the blessing and protection of others. Well, nobody's going to do that anymore. They'll read the manual and say, D, danger, look around first. I mean, where are we going? What are we? This is the folly and the madness of this. But you see, that always happens when a thing is anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-Christian. See... Parents, let me just gently say, but clearly say to you, you will have to teach their, their children very, very early on the importance of humility, the sinfulness of pride, and the need to constantly and always consider others. Mind you, you'll never do it if you haven't done it yourself. And if you are still selfish, and you think you are important, don't be surprised when your children grow up top-heavy. You know they grow up top-heavy? Ever seen anybody top-heavy? The head's bigger than the body. And they fall over. I was laughing the other night. Somebody was at the table telling us about the family. We just asked about the family, and they were talking about the boy. Oh, yes, he's 15-year-old now. Oh, well, he's a bit of a problem. You know, sometimes when you're in a room, you can't fit in if he's there. And I thought, well, that wasn't very nice thing to say about your son. But get what he was saying. He's top-heavy because it's all gone here. Somebody's made it swell. You don't need to feed that as a parent. You need to modify that. Of course a child needs assurance, definitely. Needs encouragement. It does need that. Needs to be just guided, yes. But don't puff it up. It's the worst thing you could do. Don't feed their ego. Teach them not to be selfish. Let them think of others. Growing is a difficult enough affair. Youth is already a top-heavy time. It was for us all. I'm not throwing stones at young people. I've been there. I'm, I'm not that old. I'm old, but I'm not that old that I forget what a fool I was when I was young. And how full of yourself you were when you were young. And you really, 
weren't really aware of it sometimes. You really thought it was good and you were right. And time goes on and you mellow and thank God you do. Because that's the whole point, you see, of growing in your faith. This is the whole point of growing in your faith. And when you grow with time, you should grow in your faith as well. It's, it's pitiful. It's pitiful to see an old man full of himself. It's pitiful to listen to people who've got to tell stories always about themselves and the great things that they have done. It's pitiful. It's pitiful to watch older men running for the limelight, you know, losing their uh, uh, importance in the world. Of course you're losing your importance in the world. You're getting old, all right? Your faculties aren't what they were. Your judgment's not what it was. You're not actually aware of the world and the realities of it because you're living as a pensioner. Pardon me, all right? That's pretty harsh. But it's not really. I'm just trying to say that. Clearly, so you understand, we need to have a right view of ourselves. I don't have the memory I had. I don't have the sharp wit that I had. I don't have the recall. I don't have the discernment. Quite the same. But you should have the wisdom and the humility. All right? To walk humbly with your God. You read your Bible and suddenly you think, oh, what does the Lord require of me to do justly? To love mercy, to walk humbly with my God. And yes, I find I can, I can show mercy a bit better now because I've learnt what was in myself and I look back at the foolishness of the past and it humbles you. And you know, the reason you can show mercy and compassion to others actually comes from the fact that you have discerned and d- discovered what is in yourself. Or you can pretend to, you can pretend to, but until you wake up to your own failures, Only then do you really start to have compassion and thought for the failings of others. And you, you know, you see someone on a wrong path and you do see people on the wrong path as you get older. You do see young folk just going the wrong way for self-display. You see that. You see men in their middle age striving to get to the top of their career, striving to get wealthy and have the, striving to have the best. Let you know, flexing their muscles in a public way. Thinking, yeah, I've been there. Yes, I've thought like that. And you start to, what do you do? You start to pray like you never prayed before. Can I say this to some of us who are older? All of us who are older, that's one thing, that's one task, that's one service you should be doing like in, with an, a, an efficiency, an efficacy, a discernment, an understanding as you never would have done 20, 30 years before now. And that's what you're there for. <laughs> that's much of what we're here for, is to look and to pray, pray specifically as you see and discern the necessity of the blessing that must come into other people's lives. You see, that's the whole point of what the Apostle says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You don't realise now how much you know, what you realise is how much you don't know. Don't you feel like that? Every time I learn something new, I think, good grief, 75 and you only just learnt that. How dumb, you know, how pathetic. You look back and you realise uh, you're not going to talk about your successes or what you think were successes. or You're not going to talk about how much you've done or how much you can do or all the mountains you managed to climb. You, you just look back and you realise how little you've done. How little you've done for the Lord and how poorly you've done it. How many mistakes you've made and how many opportunities you've missed. Doesn't that echo an amen in your heart? You, those of us who are just no longer, we'll say, teenager or a bit more. Just how many opportunities you miss. You say, well, this is, you know, this is all very humbling. Exactly, it's meant to be. You are humbled. You do learn humility. As you learn yourself and as you learn your God. Because you say, well, if I dwell like that on my life, I'll get depressed. Well, you will, because you go into the pity bee syndrome. It's not like that. As you look back on all the way the Lord your God led you, you're just astounded at the grace of God. Number one, that he bore with you. You wandered, but he remained faithful. Number two, that he put circumstances into your life, often very, very painful. And in so doing, He taught you and made you into something that you were not. Made you realize that you must lean on him, not on your own understanding. You must look to him and not to yourself. You must cry out for his strength and not for your own. And instead of being depressing, it becomes God-glorifying. You say, by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. And I become self-abasing and God-glorifying as I learn increasingly in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Did you hear that? No. I mean, you, you actually get to the point in life where you can look and see sin and see whatever and hear whatever and somebody else who does something terrible and, and you say to yourself, well, you know, my nature, what was in me was quite capable of doing that. Quite capable. And you thank God that he delivered you from it, yes, but you, you are humbled the more. And you say, well, I am capable of anything. You are, you know. Do you realize your sinful nature is capable of anything? I don't care how old you are. It's capable of anything. How many old men have ruined their testimony at the end of their lives? God grant that none of us will do it, but in humility we'll just go on serving the Lord with a sense of his goodness and his grace. And you learn to love mercy and you walk humbly. And then you're going along and you hear them quarreling, don't you? Who's going to be the greatest? You say, well, one thing's for sure, that's not me. No, it's not me. I'm not in that, not even in that contest. And you turn humbly and you turn and you serve God's people. You turn humbly and in humility you serve God's people. And whatever gift you have, do you, whatever gift you have, do you know why you got it? Gifts are given to you to bless others with. That's the teaching of 1 Corinthians. Gifts, they were never given to you to make you feel good, never given to you to give you some identity, never given to you to wear a name badge, never given to you to have a role in the church that was official, and certainly never given to you, for that matter, to get rewarded. No. They were only given to you so that you could have a God-given ability to serve other people in a certain capacity. All right? A God-given ability. A gifting is a God-given ability. It's not just natural ability. It will include that. No preacher is ever somebody who can't speak in public, of course. That's a natural gift. But when the Holy Spirit sanctifies it, right? that's a gifted thing. That's a gifted thing. Many people can talk. Doesn't mean they can preach. Many people can teach at school. Doesn't mean they can teach the word of God. I have seen teachers with no education, no Bible college, no degree, nothing. And I tell you what, they preached with the power of God. Anointing of God. Why? That's gifting, all right? Why have you got a gift? It's so that the other may be edified. I always remember listening to one of the grandest old men I met when I was in my very early 20s. He was a missionary in Angola, in India, um, one of the very early pioneer missionaries. There was horrific stories of of slave trading and jungle life and hardship. And He came and he spoke about gifts to us one He's an old man with a face that was as round as the sun, and it shone like it too. One of those men, you know, you couldn't help but just look at him and listen, thinking, why, when I get old, I'd like to be like you. (laughs) It's good, you know, old man, hey, old man, me included. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the younger generation looked up and said, I want to get old like him. Long way to go, sorry, long way to go, long way to go. My wife just got her eyes done this week, and she said, I'm staggered what I looked like in the mirror. I didn't know I had all those wrinkles. And I said, I told you, all your life you didn't drink enough water. She said, oh, it's not like that. She said, I can see yours as well. <laughs> you see, so it's not the physical, but it's the moral character that you express by your attitude of unceasing service and your attitude of complete humility. Now, this man stood, stood up and he preached on, on the gifts. And he went to First Corinthians, Corinthians where he says, one of the gifts is to be a help. Now, that's all it says. Not an apostle, not a prophet, not a preacher, an evangelist, not a shepherd, a help. And he said, in my dying day, in my last days, he said, what I wish to be to God's people is to be a help. And then he illustrated it. Then he illustrated it. He said, you know, you remember the shipwreck that Paul was in? Remember the shipwreck? It was terrible, wasn't it? The storms were bursting everywhere and the boat was breaking up. And if you read it, it says, they, they let down helps. It actually says helps. Under the ship. He says, I want you to think about that. He said, actually, they let down cables under the ship. And they went down right underneath, he said. They were out of sight. They were in the stormy blast, the brutality of the waves and the coldness of the water, right underneath, undergirding, holding up the ship, 
keeping it together for the safety and the blessing of those that were in. And if you looked at that boat getting battered that day, you'd think, I can't work out why it hasn't got sunk already. You couldn't see anything, but underneath there was a helps. This is true greatness. When you and I are content to work unseen and to serve unnoticed and leave any sense of greatness in the future in the hands of the master. And that's the key that he's bringing out in this second half, 28, 29 and 30. The fact is that exaltation, it's not now. No, no. You are they that have continued with me in my, in my temptations, in my trials. You've endured with me, you see. Now it's service, now it's suffering, now it's toil, now it's continuing, now it's faithfulness. You see, he trod the very same path and he entered into his kingdom via the pathway of humility and service. And he bids us follow in his steps because one day we will be there with him sitting at that table, the king's table, and we will reign with him in his kingdom. This is the destiny of greatness, feasting and reigning with him. This is exaltation. You can't go higher than the table of the king, the fellowship of the Lord. You can't go higher. And to share in that reign in a day to come, I do not understand what all that means, and I don't care what, who says so. They don't either. <laughs> Just read what the Bible says and glorify in it, glory in it and worship because of it. But it says, if we shall suffer, we shall also reign together with him. This is our exaltation. And in that exaltation, where you can't be taken any higher, you and I will not be thinking about ourselves. You won't. You will say, "'Tis thou who art worthy." That's revelation. The song is to the throne-sitter himself. And you'll say, "'Tis thou who art worthy." Lord Jesus, "'tis thou." May the Lord just teach us a lesson this morning and bless us as he sends us away to be more like the Master. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Lord, help me to live for others that I might live like thee. Let's pray. Lord, again, we are blessed as we've stood and observed all that went on in that final night of thine. In the morrow there was death. In the evening hour there was such instruction. We take it humbly seeking to learn it. Lord, teach us these things. Show us ourselves and our pride. Help us to learn to examine ourselves and listen and be taught. Help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God in due time for exaltation. But our God and Father, help us to be like the Master. We bless and thank thee once again for this holy word and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit take these truths and bind them to us as we move through the week or until our Lord shall come. Amen.